Very good morning once again, everybody. Morning again to all of you. You know, this week uh, has been, in fact, these past few weeks have been very intense. Before we read the scripture passage, just explain to you the background. With this emergence, you know, of COVID-19, DOSCON turning orange status, basically been busy scrambling. And in such a time like this, it's easy to forget that actually we are still in the book of Romans. <laughs> okay, so we are still on track. We refuse to give up. We are going to persevere through preaching the book of Romans. And today we come to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. It's up on the slide as well. Let me read it to us. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by faith, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the Word of God. Come, let us pray together. Lord, hide the preacher behind the cross. Lord, truly may the words of my mouth and the meditations and actions of our hearts and lives glorify you in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, We Boast in the Lord. Our Boast in the Lord. And Apostle Paul gives us three reasons why we might boast in the Lord. But before we go into explaining, uh, explaining these three reasons why Paul is boastful, in a sense a good <clears throat> boastful way, one early uh, discussion we had very early on in our staff, among our staff was whether to continue our healing services. Not just the worship service, but in particular the healing service. What would happen if someone diagnosed with COVID-19 came to our healing service? What would we do? And then, so we discussed, prayed about it, and then we remembered that Jesus did not shun away from lepers because of the disease. Instead, he deliberately reached out his hand even, touched the leper, and healed them and declared them clean. And so very early on, we decided we would proceed with the healing service, and this was about three, four weeks ago, even if the church has to close the door for whatever reason there may be, the preaching of God's Word, the proclamation of God's Word doesn't stop. So even if I had to do it by myself, we continue it anyway, right? So here we are, we continue uh, with this healing service, because God really is not bound by space and time. Those of you watching at home, God's healing grace is also available for you as well, as you will hear the rest of this sermon. And so, believe it or not, those of you who know me well know that actually I'm shy by nature and I prefer to keep to myself, right? But today, I want to be bold in the Lord and make my boast in the Lord because Paul gives us three very great reasons for us as Christians to boast in the Lord. The first reason Paul is boastful, such both, has such boastful confidence, is because he knows about the future. 
Verse 2 says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In the ancient Roman world in which Paul lived, the Romans were particularly obsessed with glory. Whether you were a gladiator, you were a senator, or even the emperor himself, they all wanted glory of some form. In fact, the later Roman emperors happily declared themselves Lord and God. That's how much glory they wanted for themselves. But Apostle Paul knows that human glory is fleeting. It doesn't last, and more importantly, it falls far short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, we heard that verse earlier, for all of us sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But here Paul actually makes the reversal. He says now it is possible for us to have hope in the glory of God. Now what did Paul mean by this, hope in the glory of God? Does it mean that we hope to share in God's glory, in a sense becoming divine like Him? This is what uh, one arm, one branch of Christianity, the Orthodox Christians actually believe. It's called deification. We become like God, not become God as some other religions teach, but become like God through God's grace. Or did Paul mean we will experience God's glory? Because right now we don't experience God's glory in His fullness, right? We are still separated somehow. We are not able to experience God's full glory. And so depending on how you read it, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, Christians are assured of a glorious future. That's the main point Paul is making here. No matter how you see it, we are all assured of this glorious future, of the hope of the glory of God. The important point is really to contrast it with the Roman culture, where everyone had to fight for their own glory. Even the Caesars, the emperors, they have to fight for their own glory. But Paul says here, no, look, through faith in Christ Jesus, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter whether you're a Roman citizen or not, all of us have this hope of glory in God. I want us to know very clearly that the fall of humanity, the fall of humankind, did not put God's plan for humanity to be glorified uh, down the drain. One of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, this is how he saw uh, how uh, how he saw this journey of becoming like God in His glory. When Adam and Eve were created, he said, they were created good, not perfect. You see, the Hebrew Scriptures does not use the word perfect. When God created, what did God say? Good. And then when He created humankind, He said it was very good. But nowhere does He use the word perfect. And so, He uses this illustration of a journeying towards perfection or glory or maturity. So give you this illustration. Imagine a young bunch of grapes hanging on the vine. Still young, maybe just a couple of days old. So you can see little spouts coming out, but it is not yet mature, right? It hasn't reached its full intended glory of having a wonderful sweet bunch of grapes that you can taste and savor as wonderful juices. That's the intended glory. But here it is in its original state. Good but not yet perfected. So what happened when sin came into the world? Sin basically cut us off. Cut us off from the vine. God is the vine. We are the, I mean, he's the Jesus is the vine. But the branch, God is the vine. She is the branch and we are the branches, is it? So we are cut off basically from God the vine. As a result, this bunch of grapes shrivels up and dies. Impossible for it to reach the full intended glory purpose. But what Christ has done for us is basically to graft us back, back into the vine, so that this bunch of grapes can continue to grow and reach its intended glory and destination. And so really, that's why Paul is boastful. 
because he knows that sin, even though it has derailed God's original intention, it has not defeated God at all because God's original purposes continue to be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So that's the first hope that we can boast of as Christians, the hope of the glory of God. Second, as if Paul knows our human tendency to only choose the good stuff, like the class uh, 95 advertisements uh, sometimes, uh, some time ago, remember they hear, only hear the good stuff, right? We human beings like to hear only the good stuff. <clears throat> but Paul says here, especially in verse 3, in light of our current circumstances, we can boast in our sufferings, in our tribulations. NIV translates verse 3 as glory in our sufferings, but in the original Greek, Paul uses the same word in verse 2, which is to boast. To boast in our sufferings, even when we suffer from COVID-19. The gospel that we preach is counter-cultural, antithetical to human inclination, because no human being likes suffering, but Paul's boast is in present sufferings and tribulations. I'll be the first to readily admit to you that I did not find any joy in the past few weeks scrambling to deal with this COVID-19 situation, even much less would I want to boast in it. It was an intensely stressful period as we had to make several hard decisions along the way. But now I begin to see Paul's point, that suffering does produce perseverance, and perseverance, character. In the original Greek, the word character really means to be approved by testing to be approved by testing. In the past few weeks, we can certainly say that we have been severely tested as a church, not just our local church here, but really the church in Singapore. Some of you, I know, have been scolded by your family members, colleagues. Why did churches continue operations despite escalating situation? I've written about that, our position in my pastoral letter. I hope you have received it. If not, you can go to our website and look at those pastoral letters. Essentially, the Ministry of Health, National Council of Churches, has advised us that we should continue our services, but with precautionary measures, which you all are used to, hopefully, by now. By the way, have you ever thought, why are churches afflicted? Of all the people, why are churches afflicted? I think that question surely must have popped up in your mind at some point or another. According to Singapore Life and Mission Church Pastor, the first church that was infected, this is his theological reflection, and I fully agree with him. He says, number one, the first reason is because the church has the answer. Why was this problem given to us? It's because we have the answer. And indeed, if we truly believe in the power of the gospel, we will not be afraid. Because we have the solution. The world will never have the answer, because Jesus, the gospel, has all the answers. So that's the first reason, because the church has the answer. If we cannot answer, how can the world find the solution? If we don't have peace, how can the world ever have peace? Second reason, he says, and I agree also with him, that the church needs to be awakened, to repent. And for the Christians in Singapore, I think in general, most Christians have been quite comfortable. Right? We are quite comfortable. And this may, to some extent, really God's wake-up call for us, to again pursue pure faith in Christ Jesus. Don't see Christianity as a religion or a status symbol or just take it as it is. No. To truly test our faith in Him. I want us to know that with or without COVID-19, the church has always been persecuted. That's the reality. 
the church has always been persecuted from the beginning of time all the way until right now, modern day. In Singapore, perhaps we've been very, very comfortable, very blessed, we've been shielded. But take a look at this news article on Christianity Today about uh, that took place on 17th of Feb. This article was reported. And there in Burkina Faso, 24 people, 24 Christians were dead, shot dead, I think. And then includes the pastor as well. So friends and family members criticize us. Why does the church continue your operations? To some of us, it's persecution. But have you considered the larger perspective of persecution? We in Singapore, like I said, we've been very sheltered. But for many of our brothers and sisters in other countries, they have never stopped being persecuted. And so for them to follow Christ is a matter of life and death. Literally. And so really this is a wake-up call for all of us who call ourselves Christians. Are we Christians only by name or truly Christians willing to follow Jesus all the way, even to the cross? It's a good wake-up call and I pray all of us will really heed the voice of God to repent and to go through this period of testing with genuine faith. But why does character produce hope? I've always been puzzled until I handled this COVID-19 situation and then it struck me. It is only when my faith has been proven, remember the word character means approved by testing, only when my faith has been proven, proven to be genuine, can I truly then have the hope to share in the glory of God. If I'm not tested, how will I know that my faith is genuine? Right? It's like taking exams as a student. Without the exams, you don't really know if you know that subject matter well enough. All of us... In our simple mindset, we always think, ah, yeah, I know it. When we teach our children, we see, ah, yeah, we know it, we know. But then you give them a test for the things you oh, actually don't know. You know, right? By ourselves, we always think we know everything, we have faith. But without the test, we never know whether we truly have faith or not. And so this is a test for all of us, whether we have genuine faith or not. And if, yes, you have character, then Paul says you will have hope. Because your faith is genuine, your hope will be real and genuine in time to come. We should not then be surprised that some of us in our midst have fallen away from the faith in this season. As Apostle John says in 1 John 2.9, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So really the test again for all of us as Christians it's not about reciting the Lord's uh, sinner's prayer or praying the Lord's prayer, no. It is about whether we have unwavering faith when we are persecuted. And Paul says, let's boast in our sufferings because that's how we know that we are truly faithful. Finally, Paul says we can boast in God because of the past works of Christ Jesus. So three dimensions here. First, Paul boasts about the future. Second, Paul boasts about our present sufferings. And finally, he looks back at the past work of Christ's reconciliation in verse 11 and says, let's boast in that. And that really is the essence of chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. But this is a huge point, so I will need to explain a, little, a lot more. Christ's work of reconciliation gives us four wonderful benefits. Number one, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. An alternative reading testified by many manuscripts is this, let us have peace with God. 
Do you understand the difference? So one version says, we have peace with God. We already have that peace with God. The other version says, let us have peace with God, calling us, encouraging us to have peace with God. But either way, no matter how you look at it, the point is we do have peace with God. We are exhorted, encouraged to live out this peace with God. But what does peace with God mean? As Mike Napa on Christianity.com writes, it's interesting to notice here that Paul didn't say we have peace of God or even God's peace in us, even though both of these are true. Instead, Paul said we have peace with God. This tiny little word, preposition called with, actually makes a huge difference. When Paul wrote in uh, Romans 5, 1-2 in Greek, he uses the word pros. Pros has this shade of meaning of moving towards. Moving towards. It's not just with God, but toward God. And that's why the 19th century translations, like Young's Literal Translation, Darby Translation, they translate this verse as, We have peace towards God. We have peace toward God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole idea here is deliberate movement. Moving towards God. That's why, regardless of which version, manuscript you testify, we have peace with God, or let us have peace with God, the idea is the same. Let's enjoy the peace that we have with God. Why? Because we're no longer enemies of God. Do you know God is not at war with you? God is only at war with ungodliness and righteousness. But through faith in Christ Jesus, we are no longer enemies of God, we are children of God, and therefore, we can come boldly before God our Father. Let us have peace toward God. One practical way for myself in my own uh, walk with the Lord, when I attend the church service of another church, for example, I choose deliberately to sit in the front, nearer to the front, even when I'm not on duty. It's a sign of expressing my faith, my peace toward God, literally peace toward God, coming nearer to God. But that's my own uh, journey. If I go to a secular meeting, for example, training, I choose to sit at my back, the, at the back, right? Like most of us do because we're shy, you don't really want to talk to people. That's what I'll do in a secular setting. But when I enter a church, I choose, I make a conscious choice to express my faith by moving forward because I have the peace with God. So I encourage you, wherever you may be, enjoy your relationship with God. Prayer shouldn't be a chore. It's supposed to be enjoyed because you have this peace of God. right? So let's come confidently before God daily and every moment in prayer. The second benefit Christ gives to us is His grace. Today we hear grace primarily as a religious word. In the Methodist circles, we like to use especially uh, very cheap words like uh, prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace. But in the original ancient uh, context, it really means something quite different. It is something tangible. And it doesn't come from a religious context. It comes from the secular world. And it's used between uh, the relationship between a patron and a client. A patron and a client. So let me give you a practical example here. This is shared by our staff QC. I thought it's good, so I shared it with us. We have to understand in the New Testament world, basically, uh, the whole society was corrupt. The Roman government was corrupt. They cared only about themselves. And so the only way for survival is for the people to look for people who can benefit them, benefactors, right, patrons. For them, it is not, oh, just favor, you know, good standing. No, it's a matter of life and death. So a poor farmer, for example, needs some seed uh, money to buy seeds or needs seeds because there's a bad famine. 
But how is he going to solve this problem? He's poor, he's got no money, he's got no seats. So what first of all he needs to do is to ask around. Hey, I need help here, I need help here. Do you know of any patron who has seed, who has money? So he will ask around. And then when he asks around, he might find someone who, who is identified as the patron. But he cannot go to the patron directly. He needs to find a, someone like a broker, a mediator, someone to go in between. Because he has no relations with this patron. This patron is probably high class, he's low class. There's no contact between these two classes at all. So he needs to find someone in between. And so he seeks, after asking around who is this patron, he seeks out the broker or the mediator. And after he has found this mediator, the mediator then will go on behalf of the farmer, go to the patron and ask the request on behalf of the client. And then finally, when the deal is almost settled, the farmer himself will make a face-to-face -face visitation to the patron, knock on the door, and then receive that gift. So there's this process of asking, seeking, and knocking. Does it sound familiar? Ask, seek, knock. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8. Ask, and it will be given to you, Jesus thought. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so very early on in Jesus' own ministry and teaching, we are already taught that God is our chief patron. God is our chief patron. He's the one who will give us all the benefits. It really gives a whole new refreshing meaning whenever I read the scriptures now, knowing this understanding of grace, that grace is something tangible. It is not an airy-fairy religious concept, but something tangible. And so when Paul writes, God spoke to him, my grace is sufficient for you. What Paul is really saying is this, God, I depend on you alone, for my survival. I depend on you for my whole life. Do we have the kind of faith to depend on God for everything? But let's remember Matthew 7. Jesus says, Ask and you receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. God is not a reluctant God. We need to understand that. The moment you ask, if you feel like God is so near to you, you can ask straight away, He will answer. If you feel like you don't know where God is, you're lost and you need to find Him, seek and you will find. And even if you feel there's a barrier between you and God, like a door, you just need to knock and the door will be open. These are the wonderful promises of Scripture to us. God is not a God who is angry with us, but through Christ Jesus, we can find peace with God. But grace is not merely this one-way street thing. It really is two ways because the client then has obligations. He has two obligations. Number one, he must publicize widely the name of this patron, increase his reputation. Wow, very solid that this guy, good eh? Huh? He must go around telling everybody about what this patron uh, has done for him. Secondly, he has the obligation of duty. Whenever the client, uh, whenever the patron requires him to do something, he has to do it. Okay, so he has two obligations in return to tell everybody and also to fulfill his duties. If you think about that, isn't that the same as us as Christians? God is our chief patron, giving to us grace. We have two obligations. Number one, to testify widely to who our God is, our patron is, our wonderful patron, our Father. And then also, secondly, to be willing to do all that He commands. According to the Roman philosopher, 
then this is a non-Christian. He says, those of us who show ingratitude to the patron are worse than murderers, tyrants, thieves, adulterers, and traitors. Wow, that's a very high standard. Even in the corrupt world, like the Roman Empire, they still understood that gratitude is a must. And so if we as Christians are not showing our gratitude to God, our Father, our chief patron, something is not right. Encourage us to really think about these verses. As we come to healing service, these two points, points 3.1 and 3.2, really mean for us that as we are justified by faith, remember it is not about us, it is about what Christ has done on the cross. When we come because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can boldly ask God for His abundant grace and healing. We don't need to hold back. We can freely ask because God is a generous and gracious God. We also need to recognize that healing is not something the pastor does or something more anointed Christians are called to do. If we truly understand the basis of healing, that it is based upon the work of Jesus Christ, we can pray for healing for ourselves and for the people that we know all the time. We don't have to wait for a healing service. You know, that's my dream, really, for all Christians to be activated wherever we are, we bring the healing presence of God wherever we are. That's always been the, the goal, the destiny, the hope of glory for the church, that we will be like Jesus Christ on earth as He now lives to intercede for us in heaven. I pray we will be awakened to that reality. And so when we call for testimonies at healing service, it is not to glorify ourselves. No, it is simply to testify to God, our chief patron. The third benefit Christ brings to us is this. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given, which is given unto us, to us, unto us. I'm not sure if they still sing it nowadays, old school song. It's a classic song but very powerful because it teaches us truly what Romans 5, 1 to 11 is about. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace toward God. And the love of God, and the Greek word is agape, we know that word very well, unconditional love of God, the agape love of God has been poured, not sprinkled as if God very miserable, stingy, give you a little bit. No, God pours out His love upon us. Apostle John in 1 John says, how marvelous the love of God, that He lavished it on us. All these are the verbs that are used. It's not a stingy God. God who lavishes His love on His people. And so, do we know this amazing love of God poured out into our hearts through the Holy Ghost? Perhaps some of us, our parents never told us that they love us. Or some of us, having grown up in this society, that we need to work ourselves up to perform all the time for approval, for recognition. We've been so used to thinking that we need to work everything by ourselves. But today, God's Word reminds us that we don't have to strive with God. We don't have to strive with God. He is the God who lavishes His love upon us because we are now His children. Verses 6 to 8 in Romans, it reminds us of this reality. 
At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly die to die. That's logical, right? But here, there's verse 8, which we use it all the time for our Holy Communion services. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not wait until we can perform to earn His love. No. He did it while we were still sinners. That proves His love toward us. And so if we have this love of God in us, we do not fear COVID or persecution or whatever comes our way. Why? Because the scripture also testifies, perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. The fourth and final benefit is this. Come to verses 9 and 10 now. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? So in these two verses, Paul basically argued from this logical premise, from the greater to the lesser. So the logic is basically something like that. If a humongous aircraft like A380 can take off, then the Cessna 172, the light aircraft, can surely fly, right? Or, use another analogy, if there's a small gap in the wall, and then this big-sized fella can squeeze through, like Dwayne Johnson can squeeze through, surely a skinny, scrawny little fella can squeeze through, correct? Don't even need to squeeze, can just walk through, breeze through. So, do you understand this idea behind greater to lesser? If the greater one is true, the lesser premise is definitely true. Got it? And so here he says, since we have been declared righteous by the blood of Christ, which is the greater thing, declared righteous, surely we will be saved from the wrath to come, which is the lesser thing. In other words, if we have peace with God now, we don't have to worry about the final judgment, which is then. Because we already experienced the peace of God now, the greater thing. Why were we worried about the final judgment? Again, this is a test of your own faith, whether you have faith in God or not, whether you have the peace of God with you right now. Second argument is parallel. The greater statement is that while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled. How much more then shall we be saved through His life? And we know that Jesus now lives and reigns forever with God and forever lives to intercede for us. And so if we were enemies and dead in sin and God has made us alive, how much more that we, now that we are alive in Christ Jesus, we will have even more abundant life. You understand again? The greater premise is already be fulfilled. If we were dead in sin, we will make friends and family of God. How much more that now we are children of God, we will have this abundant life because Jesus lives forever. So really this means for us, we have the power to overcome our daily struggle against sin. You will see it again reflected in the books, uh, later chapters of the book of Romans. Really, sin has no power over us. It has power only when we give control to it. If we truly understand what Jesus has done, sin has no more power over any one of us as children of God. We have come a very long way into this sermon. Thank you very much uh, for staying awake. I hope those of you at home also stayed awake. We have three great boasts in the Lord. And every Christian should be boastful only of these three. We should not boast of ourselves, but boast in the Lord, right? 
He says, number one, we can boast about the future because we have this glorious hope of the glory of God that awaits us. Second, we dare even to boast in the present, even when we go through suffering, because you know, we know that it really reveals our character and our hope. And can I tell you, church family, you know COVID-19 is really only a small test. And if we cannot stand up under this small test, when great persecution comes, how will the church stand? So let's take this small test as a good wake-up call, gentle slap from God, to wake us up so that we can be vigilant, watch and pray for His second coming. Finally, we boast in the password of Christ, which gives us four wonderful benefits now and forevermore. We have peace towards God, so let's enjoy our relationship with God. We have grace from God, a very tangible benefit of life given to us, the love of God, the agape love of God, and life with God. So if we are truly convinced by the power of the gospel and all these benefits, the church should always be proclaiming this good news. I started in Romans 1 series, The Power of the Gospel. Again, we remind us today, we have the power of the gospel in us, at work within us. Let's go before the Lord right now in prayer, in great confidence, knowing God is our Father. For those of us who need healing, we come boldly, knowing that God is our wonderful patron, the patron who gives healing grace, knowing that we are deeply loved by God, the love of God poured out into our hearts, that we have the life of God, Christ Jesus living inside of us. Before we ask for physical healing, let us, let's ask for the healing of our souls and our spirits, especially if we have not been seeking God or spending time with Him. The ultimate healing is the spiritual healing, and we all need that. So I'll give you a moment if you need to repent before the Lord. Give you a moment to say your prayers of confession. I want to encourage us to persevere to continue to receive God's grace, ways of love and mercy, believing that indeed the chains will be broken around us. Before we close off the, the service and cut off the, the simulcast, I'll leave it to Pastor Emmanuel that decided to give words of knowledge, some words of knowledge that I received from the prayer ministers who have been interceding, by the way, in case you don't know, they've been praying and interceding for you before the service and along the service as well. If these are the issues that uh, you are currently suffering from, just lay hands on those areas and ask God to heal you. First, migraine and anxiety. Second, those of us with knee issues. Third, right ear infections. Fourth, menopausal disorders. Five, teenage hormonal menstruation irregularities. I guess may or may not be the same category as the menopausal disorders and uh, insomnia and depression. Even if your, your problem is not called out, God is a generous God. He's willing to grant healing. So let's pray. As you lay hands on the parts of the body that are unwell, Jesus, we come. Not because of our own righteousness, 
but because of what you have done. And so, Father, we ask for healing right now in Jesus' name. God, you are a great patron. Come and extend this tangible grace of healing to your people, your children today. In Jesus' name, we declare healing both here in the hub, in the sanctuary, and at home. Touch them, Lord. Holy Spirit, I feel you and I know you are moving. Thank you, Lord. I bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.